Buenos dias. Is it up too loud? If I get shouting or anything, it might blow your ears out. Um, thank you for that introduction, Craig. Yes, I'm Micah Tuttle. My wife Amy is here. We only have one of our kids with us. We have six. Uh, we're just sort of getting started, but uh, our littlest baby is with us right now, and the bigger kids are, are uh, with their grandparents in Portland, Oregon, where we're from. I guess to just uh, let you know real quickly, they say there's laser on this thing. We'll try it out. So here, that's me, my wife, beautiful wife, Amy. This is our oldest son, Javen. He's 16, and then our next, Cullen, he's 15, and then Bria is 11, and here we have Josiah. He's uh, nine, and Maya is seven, and then our little baby here is six months, so we're just getting started with the second batch. Um, Amy and I both grew up in, in Christian homes, wonderful Christian homes, and uh, we met actually when we were 12 years old in junior high at a Christian school that we went to, and I had gone there since first grade, and uh, I was with my friends uh, first day of eighth grade, uh, had my hat on backwards, and I was sagging my pants, and I was really cool, and looking at the new girls that were coming in, and Amy came in. And we were all kind of sweating, and we just couldn't concentrate. This beautiful new girl has come in, and uh, she walked by me in the hallway, and I kind of stuck my hand out as I was trying to act cool, and sparks flew when I touched her hand. It was, it was incredible. That, that's what I remember. That's what I remember. <laughs> she doesn't remember it that way. She was kind of offended and didn't talk to me for four years, and so... But later, at the end of high school, we kind of got hooked up, and we got married a year after high school, so we got married really young, and it uh, was really the best decision I ever made to marry Amy. She's been a wonderful wife. Uh, when we were both 16, we started, I had a friend that went to an assembly, Eastgate Bible Chapel in Portland, Oregon, and uh, began going to that that uh, chapel mainly because they played basketball there with the youth group, and I just love basketball. And so, uh, but I started going there, and then uh, the youth group leader there invited invited me to come on Sunday morning. I asked my parents, and and they knew that it was a good church, and so they said, "Yeah, you can go there." My parents kind of went to a mega church; you're just kind of a number there, and uh, and they recognized that, and so they said, "Yeah, you can go." I had a driver's license, so I could go then, and. I could not believe it, Sunday morning, walking in for the first time, seeing the breaking of bread, and I remember all these different men that were standing up, and it was, there wasn't any professional paid, all these guys that were standing up, a plumber stood up, and he shared something really good from the scriptures, and, and, and then a, a physical education teacher stands up, he shared something really good, and then a taxi driver, and I just couldn't believe it, and, I mean, the, and worshiping the Lord, and I began to just look forward to that more and more, and Anyway, some of the older guys in that assembly began to take me aside and uh, disciple me, and um, it was just, uh, it, it was a really, really great time in my life, and uh, so from about 16 on, we were, until about 24, then we went to Peru as missionaries, as I just began to read the Bible more and more, I began memorizing different texts, and the Lord just totally transforming my life, and, uh, and Amy's also, and working in us together, and uh, uh, I was actually an electrician for about uh, six years, and then decided to leave it all and, and go to the mission field. Burton, Colleen, Elliott, Craig already made mention of them, they invited us to come and work with them after they heard that we were interested in missions, and uh, so we went, kind of gave it a, a one-year trial at first, and after that, after that first year, we just tried to learn from the different missionaries, learn the language, learn the culture. And after that uh, first year, praying, decided that it was uh, the Lord's will for us to go long term. And so we went back to our elders and kind of reported to them. 
And they recommended that we go to Emmaus to study for a year first. And so we went there, studied. I did about uh, two years in one. Then we went back to Peru for about four years. Then came back and did another two years in one. Then went back to Peru. And I know it's the unconventional way. You're not supposed to do, you're not supposed to get married right out of high school. You're not supposed to have lots of kids. You're not supposed to go to the mission field before you're prepared. And uh, we just did everything wrong. I'm, I've, I've kind of noticed this morning I'm even dressed wrong. And... <laughs> I don't have a, a tie, I'm sorry. Uh, I can just blame everything on we're from the jungle. So <laughs> if I don't do something properly, just remember where we come from. Um, so we've been in Peru for about 14 years. Um, anyway, um, this is our wonderful family. Now, I might go for hours and hours. This is going to be really hard to stick to the time. I'm going to try not to look at you. Cutting through the confusion, that's kind of the theme of the conference here, and I mean, there is a lot of confusion, doctrinal confusion, religious confusion all over the world, and and Peru is not excluded. All kinds of confusion everywhere. Um, I open air preach all over the place, and I oftentimes get people, crowds come around, and oftentimes people will come to me, and they will tell me, I've been in church all of my life, and I have never heard that before. I mean, just preaching the gospel, and people, I don't know what kind of churches these people are in, but uh, I mean, they've never heard this before. All kinds of, I was really having a hard time fighting a heresy in some of our villages that we visit, this heresy of they believe that, uh, that Eve had sex with the snake in the Garden of Eden, and that's how sin came into the world. Um, all kinds of confusion. You don't believe that, do you? <laughs> Have people looking at me like... What's wrong with that? <clears throat> um, um, some of the jungle beliefs, I could just go jungle belief after jungle belief. I'll just share one or two real quickly. Um, I was visiting some of my villages uh, along the Wajaga River, and uh, uh, I remember arriving at this one village, and I was going to uh, take a swim uh, in, in the river. And all of the brothers that were with me just started saying, No, hermano, me cares. You can't do that. The, the mermaids will get you. And... Uh, I was like, what? Mermaids? Oh, yeah, the river's full of mermaids. And they were dead serious. I could not believe it. I got down to the next village, and I told the brothers there, the the brothers in the village up above here, they believe in mermaids. And they all said, they're everywhere. We've all seen them. (laughs) I I couldn't believe it. I mean, so apparently there are mermaids all throughout uh, our river anyway, the Wajaga River. I I, I haven't seen them yet, but uh, I mean... Really, the, there's a lot, there are a lot of beliefs that uh, hold people in bondage to fear, and it's the devil. Uh, there's another one, the Chuyachaki. Uh, whenever you get alone out in the jungle, you're walking between villages, you're all alone, all of a sudden, Chuyachaki will appear. And it's, you think it's your mom or your wife or your brother, some loved one appears to you and says, hey, come follow me. And you're like, whoa, mom, what are you doing here? And she said, no, follow me. And you follow her, and she takes you into the jungle and then gets you lost and devours you. And people are scared to death of finding Chuyachaki. The only way that you can tell it's Chuyachaki and not your mom is you look at her feet. One foot is a normal foot, and the other one is a ball. And so you look at, the, look at her feet. No, 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 I see the ball, right? You're not my mom. I try to use a lot of these spiritual beliefs, and I open air preach in these villages, and I use their beliefs to try to cut through some of this confusion. And I'll, I'll use that as an illustration. You've got to look at the Chuyachaki's base. 
any doctrine, any teaching that comes, we need to look at its foundation. If it's not coming from the Bible, it's not the truth. Run from it. Teaching the truth, cutting through the confusion in Tarapoto, in, in Peru, in the jungle, open air preaching. And basically, my wife did this. This is going to be awesome. Did you see that? Cutting through the confusion by telling the truth. I mean, that, that's what we need to be doing. If we're going to cut through the confusion in Peru, here in Los Angeles, I heard it. I would say Los Angeles. Sorry, I'm picking on people. Um, but uh, cutting, through, cutting through the confusion, we've got to just, we've got to be about the Bible. Preaching truth everywhere we go. Preaching, and so I am sort of out of control in a lot of ways, and um, I preach open air all over the place, trying to preach the truth and in evangelism, discipleship, and church planting, um, also in training leaders. And so basically, I'm going to try to touch on these four real quickly. But evangelism, the first thing, um, trying to do evangelism wherever we're at. I'm doing door-to-door evangelism. Uh, doing open-air evangelism, uh, friendship evangelism, all kinds of evangelism. You might say reckless evangelism. Just throwing the seed everywhere, uh, hoping that the Lord would use it and that He would bring about fruit. But um, one-on-one evangelism, this brother right here, Quinto, uh, he's uh, one of the key brothers in one of the villages and uh, was spending, spending a lot of time training him in personal evangelism and then just going hut-to-hut, sharing the gospel with people. Um, at the cash register, at the gas pump, in the taxi, friends with friends of friends, with the policemen. The policemen oftentimes pull you over just because they, they don't see that you've done anything wrong, but they, uh, they just want to try to get coima. How do you say that? A bribe. They try to get, you, get a bribe out of you. It's a great opportunity to share the gospel. I have a lot of stories, but not enough time to talk about encounters with the police. Um, but purposeful evangelism, trying to share the gospel everywhere we go with kids, um, weddings and funerals, oftentimes I'll have opportunities to preach the gospel at, at weddings and funerals. Here's a group of just kids. I have an Evangicube right here. I don't know how many of you have seen this Evangicube, but uh, I just try to use all kinds of resources, all kinds of different ways to share the gospel with people. It's the main way that we need to be te- uh, cutting through the confusion, bringing truth to people. And uh, anyway, Using that Evangicube, one time I was using this, this Evangicube uh, in, in the main square. I just sat down at a park bench, or, or in the main square at a bench with uh, a guy that was there and began to share the gospel with this guy with the cube. And somebody in another bench saw the cube and they came walking over and they're trying to figure out what it was. And then so they sat down. And then a, a couple other people were on a different bench and they came over and sat down. And, and then people on the other side of the square saw there's a little group gathering. So they came over and then it turned into this big open air meeting. I ended with about 300 people open air preaching with this Evangicube. Um, it's, it's a very, very useful tool, very, very helpful. Um, basically, one verse that really sticks out to me, Jeremiah 20, verse 9. Um, then Jeremiah is talking. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire. It was shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. Jeremiah, just getting to the point where they're persecuting him, everyone hates him, they're mocking him, he just prays, God, I'm not going to make mention of you anymore. But then it gets to this point where God's word, it's just like a burning fire in his bones. He's weary of holding it back, and he can't do it. He's got to preach the gospel. 
um, after preaching the gospel, it's exciting to see um, young men, young women coming to faith in Jesus Christ and then discipling. Here's a group of guys. Some of them are my sons here. Others are our brothers from the church. And oftentimes I'll take them on river trips with me. We'll do hikes through the jungle to the next village and kind of doing discipleship along the way. Uh, I use Emmaus courses um, a lot of studies that I've written, but Emmaus courses that these guys are going through, and I've really challenged these guys. If they finish all of the Emmaus courses, there's like 60 of them. Maybe there's more now. Um, but if they finish all the Emmaus courses, um, I will give them a systematic theology. Um, and so a lot of them see the, the use of, of, they really, as, as they grow in the Lord, they want these materials so that they're more equipped and able to go out and do evangelism and preaching. And so... Anyway, discipleship. Also, telling the, telling the truth through church planting. The Lord has really, really blessed and uh, enabled us to be able to start a church in Tarapoto, uh, an assembly in, in Tarapoto with a small group that was meeting there, a Bible study. And uh, as we went in and started sharing the gospel everywhere, trying to disciple new believers, a new assembly was planted. And, uh, and then also along the, the river, several villages um, as Craig mentioned, the Elliots worked in this area, and they left the area about 30 years ago or so to live on the coast. And after that, basically, where we're at, no other missionaries have gone on this stretch of river, and even Peruvian evangelists and preachers and teachers haven't really gone through there, and the work that the Elliots left behind after 30 years was really, in a lot of villages, dying and disappearing um, the older generation dying for some reason, not passing it on to the second generation. Discipleship, it's so important. I mean, that's what we see in the States. We need, last night I was talking about men. Where are the men? We need men to stand up. And now the next generation, I can't remember who, it was, who, who said this, but um, this generation of, I'm going to say this wrong. This generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of souls. Maybe I'm saying that wrong, and maybe you need to take it with a grain of salt. God does the work. But at the same time, it's, it's the next generation needs to start to stand up and, and start being about evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. The past generation, I'm just amazed. I'm, we're staying with the old folks over here. and I've just been talking to some of those guys. I can't believe it. I mean, you, some of those young young. Older uh, men and women, they lived lives that were not wasted at all. I was talking to Mr. Hawk. I, I hadn't heard of him before. Open air preached all over the place, like every other day for like 40 years. Writ, wrote, writ, wrote books, uh, making disciples, planting churches. I, and it is our generation's turn to stand up. And start getting involved in the work and in the ministry. And you look in Peru and the history of missions in Peru. Tremendous work that so many of the old-timer missionaries have done and left behind. And now, in, in many places, some of the assemblies are just disappearing. It's time to stand up and begin to do evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Um, the Lord has blessed us with this boat right here. I don't know if you can see it very well. Um, this, this boat we call El Chasqui de Rey. El Chasqui in Quechua is messenger. Rey is king in Spanish. The messenger of the king. That's what we named our boat. And uh, the Lord really blessed us with this boat. Uh, I kind of told the story last night. Maybe a lot of you were here last night, so I won't tell it again. But the Lord provided uh, for this boat. And uh, we can fit about 
25, 30 people in it. We've had several teams come and visit us, and a lot of times we'll go down river and we'll just drop off two guys in this village, two guys in the next village, two evangelists in the next village, two evangelists in the next village, and just uh, they'll spend 24 or 48 hours in that village going hut to hut, open-air evangelism, encouraging the brothers, teaching the word, training the leaders that are there. But uh, this boat has just been a tremendous blessing and a help to us. Um, also, uh, telling the truth, teaching uh, in these villages along the Wajaga River. This, this river that uh, we work along is called the Wajaga River. It's a tributary uh, to the Amazon. We're probably about a three-day, four-day journey up from uh, the Amazon River. But there's about 30 villages that I visit in a circuit. And I try to visit these villages um, one week. I take one week out of every month to go to the villages. And uh, I'll, I never go by myself. I'll take at least uh, six, seven, or eight guys with me, sometimes one or two of my kids, uh, a couple guys that I'm discipling. And we'll go and uh, go into these villages and just go hut to hut. And I said, open air preaching. Here's a picture of our assembly that uh, the Lord has helped helped us plant in, uh, in Tarapoto, in our, in our city, um, trying to be about preaching, teaching, counseling, visitation. There's lots of youth events, conferences for the assemblies. Um, here's one of those conferences, the youth conference. Um, there's so much to do. There's so, much, so many opportunities, and I'm just trying to, uh, one of our prayer requests is, is pray for us to help balance uh, the many pans in the fire. There, there's so much to do. There are invitations to preach at youth, youth conferences and, and open air. A lot, since I'm open air preaching everywhere, oftentimes uh, brothers from other churches will see me open air preaching and they'll invite me, hey, can you come to my church and we'll have an open air meeting for our church out in, out in our neighborhood or something like that or then being invited to, to do conferences on evangelism. There's tremendous opportunity and I, I really think the only way we're going to be able to cut through the confusion, the doctrinal confusion, the religious confusion, is just we need to get out and start preaching the truth everywhere. Need to start preaching the Bible. God's Word, again, Jeremiah said, God's Word was in my heart. It was in my heart like a burning fire. It was in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I couldn't. We got to get God's Word into our heart, into our bones first, and then go about preaching His Word. This is uh, one of the conferences... I don't know if you can see that very well. The audio doesn't seem to be working. Anyway, this is a this is actually a conference uh, in a village. I showed up, and a, a bunch of uh, villagers they came from other villages and just crowded in to listen. Uh, we had meetings that night from about six until two in the morning. It was uh, I just want to want to cry looking at that. Oh, got to get back to Peru. It's great there. Um, this is a, in another village. We had a conference there. Uh, this is actually a picture that we took with a couple of brothers and sisters that got together. Uh, we were having breakfast together. A lot of times at breakfast, you'll have uh, masato, which is the yuca spit juice of the jungle. I'll explain that a little bit later. I have a video where this lady's making it. But uh, um, then we, wild boar brains are often a nice delicacy at these events. Uh, you eat plantains uh, everywhere you go. Um, a lot of fish, fry dance every once in a while, monkey. One time I uh, got into a village after about six hours of walking through the jungle and they, uh, they gave me this piece of meat and I was just famished after walking uh, through the jungle and, and I was just 
chowing down. Oh, it was, it was a good piece of meat. And there's kind of this little ball on the end of it. And as I was eating, it came to the ball and it opened up and it was a hand. There, there were fingers and I thought, I mean, it looked like a little kid's hand. It, it was a monkey. It was, it was good. Really good eating. We don't work with cannibals. But, uh, and I'm not an evolutionist, so it's okay to eat monkeys. Um, Training leaders. I don't know why I look extremely fat in this picture. I think the, the, air, is, the air from the boat is uh, flowing through my... But uh, training leaders, taking these guys. These are two of my best guys. This is uh, Edinson right here, and this is Isidro. And uh, these guys accompany me on a lot of river trips. And just discipling these guys and training these guys as leaders. These guys are extremely good preachers, evangelists, and uh, also doing a good job helping pastor and shepherd the flock um, in Tarapoto. They live in Tarapoto. They work with our assembly. They help in the assembly uh, very much. These, this here is a picture of uh, at a capacitación bíblica training that we have in Yurimaguas. We also have uh, one of these capacitaciones bíblicas in, uh, in Trujillo. Um, Tom Clark is going to be speaking later. He is uh, like the, the ultimate teacher on the coast. He's always at the event there. We need, you, need to get you to come to Yurimaguas also. But uh, um, it's, a, it's a great event where these guys come from the different villages all around just longing to learn more. These are key preachers and key men in each of these villages um, also, training leaders were involved in helping with IBEM, El Instituto Bíblico de Entrenamiento Misionero, which, uh, which takes place on the coast in Trujillo. Um, about eight or nine years ago, we were involved in starting, starting that institute with some other missionaries there on the coast. And uh, we spent our first couple of years in the jungle. We, we would come to the coast about three times a year to teach us the modules. Now there's so much to do in the jungle. We only make it to teach at the modules on the coast uh, uh, maybe once a year or so. But it's a really key time where we're able to be training key leaders and working here with people that are more educated from the coast, the people in the jungle uh, definitely at a lower education level. Um, another picture here of the Capacitación Bíblica training preachers and teachers. I don't know, you don't got the uh, volume on that. preaching in the evenings and in the mornings uh, I'll be doing a class I'm teaching the uh, introduction to the New Testament and I've got 15 students here these are pastors and teachers um, evangelists from the different villages that I visit these are key men and uh, they're all here to take a week of classes in our Bible Institute that we start along the river so uh, I'm really excited about this opportunity and uh, we're hoping that the Lord will really bless our time and that uh, it would be profitable and that these guys would learn a lot that they can apply in their churches and in their ministry. So I'd ask that you pray for us, but by the time you see this video, uh, the week will be over, and uh, hopefully we will have survived. We'll see. That Those guys in that boat, these are, there's about 15 guys right there that were on that trip with me, and, and we kind of do a, a traveling Bible institute, and every two months we'll take one week and do intensive training, and I'll take these guys, I pick them up in their villages, these are the key men in each one of their villages, and uh, go village to village, 
And uh, I'm teaching usually, uh, that was introduction to New Testament was the week, that whole week I was teaching on that. And I taught from basically seven in the morning till two in the afternoon on, on introduction to the New Testament. And then after that, um, everyone would go out two by two, hut to hut. We'd have a big open air meeting in, in that village in the evening. And then the next day, we'd go to the next village and do the same thing. Teaching in the morning, uh, evangelism in the afternoon or door to door, and then open air in the evening. And these guys are just, they're key men. This guy actually right here, don't tell anybody, but he, is, he was on Peru's most wanted list. I mean, and he is my best guy. Uh, in these villages that I visit, the only things to do for entertainment is, is get drunk, fight, and fornicate. Um, this, this guy right here, Wilson, he actually was uh, uh, a drug trafficker, a narcotraficante, and, and he was arrested uh, in the 80s. Uh, maybe it was the 90s, uh, and he was uh, sentenced to 40 years in jail. I don't know exactly everything involved. I think he'd murdered people in the process and things, but uh, he was serving, starting to serve a 40-year sentence in the Iquitos jail, and actually some of his uh, uh, drug trafficking buddies bought a house next door to the Iquitos jail, and they built this tunnel under the jail. I mean, it sounds like a movie. Um, he receives a note in the jail uh, that you're supposed to go to this corner in the courtyard of the jail at 3.31 in the afternoon. There's going to be a hole jump down in it. And so he goes there, hole jump, uh, hole open is under, up, under this garbage. He jumps down, runs through the tunnel, escapes, and he escapes to this village, Yarina, and he's been living in this village of Yarina for about five or six years. I came to his village and started open-air preaching. He uh, was listening to the message, and he went home that night and trusted in Christ. And uh, actually, uh, we started this Bible Institute, and I was signing people up, and he came to sign up, and he said, do you remember me? And I said, I, I don't remember. I, I couldn't remember his face. He said, I was the guy that was throwing tomatoes at you that night that you are preaching in our village about uh, six months ago. And he has come to faith in Christ. He has sin since uh, married his woman. He, he, he has uh, three kids. He loves his kids. He actually uh, has just had another, another little kid, and he named him, he named him Micaeus after me. It's kind of funny. There's about 20 little Micaeuses running around in all the villages. <laughs> And they're all about six years old or younger. And, but anyway, these, uh, th this guy, he's, he, he has transformed his family. There are rare few men that love their wives, love their kids. Rare few men that are preaching the gospel accurately, sticking to the truth, cutting through the confusion in their village. And this guy is doing it. He's like started kind of a mini revival in his village. And then he's going to the villages all around preaching the gospel. And he has learned so much in our institute. It is so exciting to work with these people. I mean, this guy's my best guy and he's on Peru's most wanted list. Uh, they've been trying to, well, I don't, I don't know if they're still looking for him. This is, he escaped out of jail. It's been like eight years ago now. I don't know if like time erases these things, but he asked me, what do I do? Do I turn myself in? I took a class on issues and missions at Emmaus. We didn't learn how to deal with some of these things. I mean, this is a serious issue. Uh, I mean, he's my best guy. I don't want to lose him. The Lord transforms people transformation in Jesus Christ. Um, this is a little bit more the picture of the, the Bible Institute, these key guys in the, in the village. Here's a village. I don't know if you have the audio there. Okay, go ahead. 
This lady's making we are, uh, the famous on our way, walking spit between juice villages. We got something about an eight-hour uh, walk that we're doing today between villages. But anyway, we came across this house right here where these people are making masato. Masato is the famous spit, that back uh, drink out. of the jungle. Everybody drinks it here. This is manioc root, which grows all over the jungle. What they do is they boil it first and they mash it down in this uh, trough. And then this lady will, she, she sticks it in her mouth like you've seen. She, she just chews it a little bit to get some saliva on it, which gets the enzymes from your saliva into it. And then uh, for the next couple of days, the enzymes in your saliva causes this to ferment. And later it's just this fermented mash. And you can mix that mash in with water. And then it's your, your alcoholic drink. And uh, everybody in the jungle drinks this stuff. Uh, not necessarily to get drunk, but some do for to get drunk. But a lot of people drink it just to, it's kind of like Red Bull. Gives you energy to work the whole day. You don't even have to eat breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Just masato. That's the famous drunk of the, drink of the jungle. The famous drink of the jungle that makes you drunk. So if you come to visit us in Peru someday, we will definitely uh, get you some masato to drink. I actually had never had a drop of alcohol until we were missionaries in the jungle. And every, every village that you visit, you have to at least take a sip. You don't get drunk or anything, but it is powerful stuff. And it is, it's like Red Bull. It gives you a lot of energy. So um, yeah, visiting these villages and uh, trying to be out there one week of every month. There are 30 different villages, so I try to get to each, each village uh, once every six months. Um, here's a picture of a team that came and visited us. Actually, one guy was from Scotland, one was from England, uh, another guy was from Canada, and, actually, and I think another guy was from Ireland. They formed a team and came and visited us. Um, we have, maybe some of you recognize this guy. His name's Jeremiah. Um, he came and visited us. We have uh, short-termers that come and stay with us and do, do trips with, with us all the time. Sometimes we've had guys stay with us for three months, uh, some for one month, but uh, a lot of different teams coming and visiting. And we really, there are differing views and missions on teams, short-term teams. Um, I used to kind of think they take your time away. Um, now I've changed my view on that because, I mean, we're in Peru because we rent, went on a short-term trip one time to Peru, and uh, we wouldn't be in Peru, humanly speaking, uh, if it wasn't for that, that trip. And, uh, and we've seen the, how, the opportunity to be able to impact young people that come and visit and encourage them in the Lord and, uh, and maybe point them towards missions if, if God would have that for them in the future. So we also had an Emmaus team in 2012 that came and visited us, about uh, 12 students from Emmaus, uh, Joel Hernandez, who is the... Uh, uh, head of the missions department at Emmaus. We're good friends with him. He came with the group. It was a really, really encouraging time. This is an assembly from uh, uh, Houston. They came with some doctors, with some preachers, and some children's workers, and just were a tremendous encouragement to us there as they came and, and helped. Um, to end, I'm probably way over time. I don't even know what time I'm supposed to stop, so I'm not going to look at Craig. Um, but matters for prayer. If you could pray for us, our marriage and our family. Um, I really, this is, if, if you don't pray for anything else, if you remember us, just pray that I would be a good husband and a good father. If I can do that, everything else falls into place. Um, I need to, we need to be an example. And I think it's an advantage to have a big family like we are because the whole world needs to see examples of strong and biblical families, men that love their wives and their kids. And uh, it's, a, it's a major need in Peru, maybe also in Los Angeles.
Um, Time management, as I already said, we have a lot of pans in the fire. There's a lot to do. There are invitations all over the place. There's not enough time to do everything. We need help. Maybe the Lord is raising up someone in here to come and help. Um, but time management, just to um, effectively use our time for, for God's glory and really uh, put our time into the, the, the most important things. Um, also, the focus areas, uh, that would be our, our assembly there that we started in Tarapoto, also the, the villages um, along the river Wajaga, and also um, the institute that we're involved in. Um, also, as I already mentioned, a team. We, we really have found that we're all by ourselves where we're at, um, and we're not by ourselves. We're, the Lord is with us, and uh, and there are Peruvian believers um, around us that we are great friends with, that we work closely with, and it is uh, very uh, helpful. But at the same time, um, we have realized the importance of working with a team and the need for a team. And uh, anyway, uh, we have a name there, the Literals, um, um, Philip and, and Clara Literal. They live in North Dakota, and they're really thinking of coming to uh, work with us. And uh, so anyway... Those would be some of our prayer requests. If uh, you could bring some of those before the Lord um, for us on our behalf, that would be great. I want to just end um, reading, reading this statement right here. If I can find it, I wrote it. You have nothing to do but to save souls. Therefore, spend and be spent in this work. And go not only to those that need you, but to those that need you the most. It is not your business to preach so many times and to take care of this or that society, but to save as many souls as you possibly can. To bring them, to bring as many sinners as you possibly can to repentance. And then one more quote by John Wesley. Give me 100 men who fear nothing but God. No, no. Give me 100 men who fear nothing but sin and desire no one but God. And I care not whether they be clergymen or laymen. They alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven upon earth. Give me 100 men. And John Wesley saying this and just thinking about the lack of men. Where are the men? And just men that fear nothing in this world except for sin in their own life. Fear that. That will render you useless. Fear sin in your own life. And then fear nothing else. And go out courageously preaching the word. And then wanting no one but God and God alone. Men like that, God will use to set up His kingdom. Now, I, I, And you can get into... Debates here, uh, amillennialism, a premillennialism, and uh, I, I'm a premillennialist. Christ is going to come. He's going to set up a literal earthly political kingdom on this earth and reign for a thousand years as Satan is bound. But at the same time, Christ is reigning in heaven right now. And to be a part of extending that spiritual kingdom right now, just a few men that would be willing to stand up and, and, and say, I want to be used for God's glory. A life not wasted. It doesn't matter if you're a clergyman or a layman. You continue working as a garbage man. And then on the side, preaching the gospel. Loving your wife. Loving your kids. A strong family. Being about evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Once again, Jeremiah said, Then I said, 
I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire. It was shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back. And I could not. A man that has God's word in his heart, in his bones. That's the only thing that we're going to be able to use in order to cut through the confusion, the religious confusion today. Uh, All of the confusion that we see in the jungles of Peru, on the coast of Peru, in the mountains, here in the United States, using the truth to cut through it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity that you've given each one of us to be your ambassadors. We pray, God, that you would raise up men and women to go out into the harvest, whether it's full-time or part-time, working secular jobs, but at the same time going out to make Christ's name great among the nations. Oh God, we just pray that you would begin to revive us. Revive the assemblies here on the West Coast. Oh God, we just long to see a turning to your word so that we might be able to cut through all this confusion all around us. Returning to your word so that we might be able to preach the truth everywhere. Put into our hearts a burning desire to to preach Christ and Christ alone. Salvation in His name. We thank You for the encouragement that You give us as we see uh, uh, different examples of, of Your work in different areas around the world. And Oh God, we're so humble and we just want to give You the glory and, and, and pray that, that You would see fit to use us. We know that You'll continue Your work with or without us. But Lord, we want to make ourselves available. We might be useful instruments in Your hands. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for today and what's happening here in this conference, uh, Southern California. I'll put the rest of this day into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.